Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Welcome to the 318th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with John Simone, author of the new novel, The Road to Delano. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is John John Simone, author of the new novel, The Road to Delano. John is also the author of the novels Leonardo's Chair and No Ordinary Man, and he also works with select clients to ghostwrite their memoirs. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your new novel, The Road to Delano, yet, how would you describe the novel? Well, it's a um, it's it's a coming of age story. It's a mystery. And it has a bit of a social bent. And what I mean by social bent is it's dealing with a wider issue, you know, a problem in society. So it's set, um, uh, and and the characters have to respond uh, with some really significant moral choices. And the, the moral choices are, they're in high school, and they're a little different, you know, not, you know, what kind of girlfriend am I going to have, or, or uh, you know, what am I going to wear, or who are my friends going to be, but some really significant moral choices um, uh, pushed upon them uh, by the social problem of the time. Okay, so that's in general terms. The social problem is the, is the grape strike led by uh, Cesar Chavez in Delano in 1968 and uh, how he chose to deal with an intractable problem, and that was the, the, um, uh, how the farm workers were treated during that time. And so do you remember the original idea that led you to write The Road to Delano? Sure. I was an adjunct professor at a university uh, teaching freshman writing. And um, I read a, uh, I could choose a book to write essays on. And I I chose a book on the history of civil disobedience. And um, in there were, uh, you know, the usual essays, um, uh, you know, Gandhi, and, and we'll start with Socrates, went all the way through Martin Luther King. And in there was, an, was a couple of essays and excerpts on Cesar Chavez and how he used nonviolence in a labor action and um, as a form of civil disobedience. And uh, I was just moved by it. And, you know, I, I don't live very far from Delano, um, a couple hours, and uh, I had just finished a book. And I thought this would be a great idea. And it just grew over time as I, as I read about them and read about uh, the people of that time and that culture. So, And so how much research did you do about Cesar Chavez and the movement he led? Well, you know, I'm, I'm like most people, even here in California. I knew, every, you know, um, so many streets are named after him. Schools are named after him. Parks are named after him. We have a Cesar Chavez Day. We, I know that he um, led the great boycott, and that was the extent of it. So I really was starting from zero. And um, 
he did not write a biography, but he was followed around by a very talented um, writer who pretty much recorded um, what happened starting in 1965 through 75. Those were the, those were the strike years. Um, and uh, that author's name was Jock Levy. So I started with that book and you just go from there. And uh, I would say, boy, I mean, I, probably a whole year of research, but you know, you're researching, you're writing, you, you come up against a brick wall. Um, the challenge that I had was I, I wanted to include the point of view of the growers. Nothing I'd read had really included their point of view. Um, and there, I, you know, I went to the library in Bakersfield. I went to the library in Delano. I went to, of course, you know, you go to the big online um, bookstores and there's nothing that they wrote that indicated, you know, what they were thinking, why they would do this. Um, so that was the real challenge. I did find a box of newspaper clippings in the Delano Library, which is really just a little shoebox of a building. And an old librarian had cut out um, opinion pieces and articles and and uh, stored them in a, in a banker's box. And that's uh, that was very informative. So it, there was a lot of digging. And so, what are your what are your earliest memories of reading and books? Oh my! Um, so I was not big on, um, you know, as a kid, I was not big on, um, uh, you know, the high level literature. I didn't start reading that until I was you know, late in high school and into college, I was, I was really taken with adventure stories. Um, you know, Tom Swift, I don't know if you remember that name. If that I do, I do. Rings a bell, <laughs> you know, and um, the ironic thing about Tom Swift is everything that he's talking about now is coming true, you know, except for maybe death rays, but uh, uh, Hardy Boys, you know, Mysteries, uh, Isaac Asimov, um, a lot of that type. Of, I, you know, I didn't read a lot of science fiction besides, but a lot of uh, adventure. Um, I just remember reading a, a story about George Rogers Clark and his trek across the wilderness uh, in early American history, and it just really moved me. So I was drawn to adventure stories, basically. And and so, can you talk to us a little bit about your your journey into writing? When did you first get interested in writing, and what led you to writing your earlier novels? Well, my interest I can date back to around um, when I was in seventh grade, maybe eighth grade, and I knew that you know I liked the idea. I was just always attracted to the sentence. I you know at that point I really wasn't good at it. I was not a prodigy. I can tell you stories about that, but um, we had to write an essay. I went to a Catholic school that was, um, you know, it was ruled by the iron rod and um, the nuns did the best they could, but we had to always play on blacktop. I just, I will never forget this. And um, so 
the boys would all come banged up at the end of recess because we're playing basketball, we're playing football, we're playing baseball on blacktop. And, you know, there was, there was the same amount of abandon if you were, if you were, uh, playing on, on dirt. So, you know, my knees still bear the marks of those days. At any rate, we could write an essay and we were given this assignment. It had to be eighth grade and, um, write anything you want. And I wrote an essay called why no grass. <laughs> like a, I, I'm thinking about it now. It's like a protest essay. And everyone in the class got theirs back except for me. And I'm going, wow, this is interesting. Um, you know, an oversight, I assumed. But the, the mother superior at, you know, the principal of the school was the mother superior, a slight woman, kind of a craggy face, you know, in the black habit. And, and uh, she comes in and she has my essay in her hand. And she went, I, I don't know how long it was, but I just sweated through that whole thing. She went into all the reasons why they didn't have grass. And, you know, the, the, the farmer next door wouldn't sell him the land because he wants to turn it into apartments and make more money. And he doesn't care about us Catholic kids. And, and you know, it would, that's the thing I remember, you know, and somehow the communists got in there and I thought, wow, you know, I'm in the back of the room. They don't pay attention to me. I don't have the best grades, but I can write something that, that kind of gets people riled up. She was riled up. <laughs> so then I was attracted to adventure stories and I wrote a lot of stuff that never, you know, that kids write. And um, uh, so my parents weren't too, um, they were both business people. They weren't too encouraging in that vein. Um, I always wanted to be a writer. I knew that that's what I would be, but they wanted me to get into business, you know, that type of thing. So, uh, you know, people have gone, a lot of people have gone through that. I, I often wonder, and I have to really put those thoughts aside, if I had just gone from an upward trajectory then, you know, started really developing my craft and got into newspaper writing. And, but my parents were so objectionable to it that, um, to, you know, reading my essays or reading my stories and reading that and, and, you know, concentrate on this other stuff. And so it just was always in the back of my mind. And then, so when I was in college, uh, I took a writing class with, I'll just never forget this. She's dead now, so I can mention her name. Hortensia Kalashir. She was a visiting writer. She's just really hoity-toity literary writer. You can find her books. She read my story, and you know they give you a one-on-one -on -one interview, you know, like at least one, right? Mm-hmm. Visiting writer, and she had my paper in her hand again. I'm just like, I was back in the eighth grade. And, um, you know, boy, you know, the mother superior thing, and she said, okay, this is really interesting, John. She goes, all I can tell you is people aren't going to read you for your writing. They're going to read you for your stories. What I thought meant I wasn't a very good writer. And I think, you know, that's what she was trying to tell me. <laughs> so, I, you know, it's just, I just really had to put that aside um, and just keep doing it. So I always wrote on the side. I got into business. Uh, I wrote on the side. I, um, 
and pursued it on my own. And it was always, you know, working and, uh, and then at night or in the morning writing. So I did that for years until finally my, you know, I got control of my sentences and, I would say in this book, my writing is much better than in Leonardo's chair. My wife keeps telling me that. And my next book, I think, will be even better. So that's what I'm I'm working on. Well, I mentioned earlier that you ghostwrite memoirs. How does ghostwriting work? Well, I was in corporate America. I was desperate to get out. My kids were out of college. I was single at that time. And I... I had, um, you know, really developed some skills as a writer. And a friend of mine was a ghostwriter. And I was complaining to him one day, you know, I just got to get out of this corporate world. It's killing me. I don't want to do this. And he looked at some of my stuff and goes, well, you're a good writer. I'll help you get into this business. So I took it as a way of supporting myself. Like, you know, you can write for pay for other people until you can write for yourself. And, um, the mem- I just fell into writing memoirs because memoirs really, the memoir and the novel, there's such a kinship. Um, and the major difference is the memoir is not made up. Okay, we know that, right? Right. But, but the craft, the elements of a memoir, of a contemporary memoir, which has a, a, a very um, structured arc, the contemporary memoirs that do very well on the market by nobodies. Okay. If you're somebody, you, you can sell a book, they'll hire you a writer and then the editor will fix it. Okay. If you, you are a celebrity, people want to hear those stories, but if you're not a celebrity, uh, which most of the memoirs are, you have to have, you know, writing skill and you have to structure your memoir so that it reads like a story. And when people say story is, it's like the story they see in the movies, the story they see, they read when they read their novels, they want a beginning, a middle, and an end. They want a definite, what's called story arc. And um, I apply the story arcs I've learned in fiction telling to memoirs, and it's, it's really worked. And all the best memoir writers do that. Whether they know consciously what they're doing, and so what writing advice would you sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For 130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Offer for listeners who are writing their own stories and novels. Okay, well, um, if, if you're writing your own memoir, well, even if you're writing your own your own your own story, you know, get into a writing group. I was in the same writing group for about 15 years, and um, that's a little too long because you want to break out of your writing group and get with you know as your as your craft. Ex- um, not every writing group, everyone is. Some people there as a hobby. Some people want to move on and become professionals. So as you progress in your skill, you know, develop relationships with better writers. I did that. Um, so I quit my corporate job. I'm writing um, for hire, right? Mm-hmm. I'm adjunct work, you know, trying to piece together a living. 
And, you know, that's low paid, but at least it's steady. And I have my summers free. So every summer for about, oh, about eight or nine years, I went to writers conferences all over the country. I did not, in the beginning, I went to conferences where there's just lectures. But the best writing conferences are the one that holds workshops. You know, um, the big one out here in California, Squaw Valley. Uh, there's a really great one up in Napa Valley. The most fun conference I've ever been to in my life. Um, they host the the writing the writing workshops in the in the gourmet cooking school in Napa Valley. <laughs> at night, when typically at all these conferences at night, you do readings. All the readings are held at various wineries. Wow. That is Sign me up. Absolutely. If you like wine, if you like food, if you like books, <laughs> unbelievable. Anyway, that was fun. They always bring in the, you know, that attracts the best teachers. Um, they get notable authors to run the workshops. And you really get to workshop your writing. And that's what you want to do. You want to get keep pushing your writing in front of the top authors that are critics that you can get to and that will improve your craft and so um you know if you want really want to get published you have to improve your craft and you have to write so um you know that's that's there isn't any I, there is no other way to do it you know sure. if you, if, and and you know that and, and your peop, listeners know that but it's a long journey, and mine was a lot longer than other people. But I think I took a lot of detours. What what kept you going on that journey? What what kept you inspired? Gosh, it's something really deep inside me. Okay, because I've been in workshops. I was at a workshop um, in UCLA. I remember this. So at, I worked in LA for many years, and at night. Um, for years, I took uh, a writing class. Usually, they have a great extension course for writers, ex excellent teachers. And I'll never forget this. Right in the middle of a workshop, one of the writers got up and he said, that's it. I'm done. I'm quitting. I, and everyone tried to talk him out of it because, you know, I think I've done this long enough. I'm never going to get it. And he left and he never came back to class. Now, I don't know if he had a change of heart later. I, um, I always got just enough encouragement to keep moving on. Never, you know, never anyone said, you're the next Steinbeck. God, you know, that would just go to your head. You don't <laughs> want that. You just want, you just want enough encouragement to say, okay, you know, there's a lot here. So I, I was, I was, you know, people spend their money. My, my, my family, you know, everyone in my family has a boat or a horse or I don't have that. What I've spent my money on is getting really good advice, having other people read it. And that costs money. The top editors will charge you, unfortunately, you know, to read it. But that's that's us all. The, they're all doing the same thing I'm doing. They're scrapping along, trying to make a living. And um, uh, so, if I get extra money, I try to get one of the absolute top editors to to read it and critique it. 
And um, I don't know of any other way. So I don't have a boat. You know, um, I have a nice car. We live in a nice house, but um, that's it. That's what I do. Gotcha. So what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Okay. I'm a big history buff. And so um, I'm going to get it. It's right here on my shelf. Hold on. Okay. Um, um, well, it should be on my shelf. It's, um, it, bear with me. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. The name of the, um, let me get on my Instagram. Uh, it, it was about the American Revolution um, and the three founding fathers who, um, the three founding fathers who influenced the intellectual side of the revolution. And, you know, um, most of the, the generals uh, came from, came from Virginia, um, the big generals, but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's called Rebels. Um, uh, How Hancock, Adams, and Quincy family fanned the flames of a revolution, the three rebels, and um, absolutely fantastic book. She just, uh, years of research to to get this out, and um, I just, I just love that book. So um, I try to alternate a history book with a um, or nonfiction book with a um, you know a novel, and uh, probably read two to one. And who are some of your favorite novelists? Well, you know the California novelists are 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 really um, my favorite. You know, Upton Sinclair, I mean, he, he was the one that really inspired me in this idea of writing a novel about a problem um, as opposed to a personality. Most historical fiction today is taken up with romance. And I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's what it is. And um, probably one of the reasons why my book has doesn't have, you know, a getting a wider market is because it doesn't have a a stirring romance. That's one thing that Ken Follett, one of my favorite historical writers, is able to do, combine history with romance. And um, I didn't accomplish that yet. We'll do that someday. But um, but no one calls his stuff historical romance, but he has romance in there. But most of the World War II fiction is really historical romance. Uh, Upton Sinclair, Steinbeck, um, uh, Norris, you know, with, with, um, octopus and, um, those were my, those were my early reading, you know, on a national scale. I mean, to kill a mockingbird. I remember I did not read that until I was in college and I, I was so moved by the story. I just remember sitting there just going, wow, how could someone do this? You know, I mean, how could someone write what does it take to write a story like this? That's what I remember wondering. And, um, you know, To Kill a Mockingbird, she spent seven years writing and revising that book. 
Steinbeck did his book in like six months. Um, the Grace of Wrath. Sure. But that was his third or fourth novel. And he had already written in dubious battle, which was about uh, the grape strike, but about the communist organizers. And um, he, uh, his friend who ran the, um, the uh, migrant, uh, the migrant camp, uh, the federal migrant camp up there in Wheat Patch, handed him 120 pages of notes uh, that he had taken on all of these different abuses and all of these stuff. And that was, that was kind of the beginning. So he had a research partner for that book uh, and which is people do that. I mean, novelists, you, you need some type of help with research if you're going to do it quickly. You know, on the other hand, um, Harper Lee went through draft after draft after draft until she finally got it. And when she got it, she got it, you know, you know, and, yes. So where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your books? Well, um, my uh, website is John D. Simone, D-E-S-I-M-O-N-E.com. And um, uh, of course, on Facebook, John D. Simone, author. And my book is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Book Depository, just about any place. It, and uh, you can get it from the bookstores. It's in, it's distributed worldwide. But um, the thing about the road to Delano, can I just say one thing about it? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And uh, I was really conflicted. I did not include Cesar Chavez as a personality in the book until about the third draft. And I just didn't know how people would take putting an iconic figure like that in the book. And, when I finally did do it, it worked out really well. And I didn't know how the Chavez family would take it. Um, you know, they're very protective of his image. And I think the book was very positive towards uh, Cesar Chavez. Um, personally, I think he is a cultural hero. He's someone who rose above, um, rose above the, uh, the elements that, uh, kept him and his people down. He refused to be a victim and he learned how to take action to improve his situation and the situation of those that he cared about. And those are heroes in our culture. You know, the heroes um, aren't on welfare. I'm not saying you shouldn't be on welfare. I'm just saying they're not. They're taking their life in their own hands and they're saying, okay, my situation isn't good here, and I'm going to find a way to change it, because that's the way America works. America allows you to better yourself. And um, his story really is an American story, every much as American as Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement in the South. Um, it's just that Cesar Chavez was doing it with a very underrepresented representative group, you know, the farm workers are a shadow population among us. Um, they're there. We know they're there because our food's on our table. And um, what, 90% of the nuts and fruit in the country come from that valley and 50% of the grapes or more. So, um, 
you know, the farm workers, it, they have been trod upon for, you know, 60, 70, 80 years here in California. And he was the first one to really break through that log jam, the reluctance of the growers to actually sit down and talk with their labor and come to an agreeable way of solving a problem. And he did it through the use of nonviolence. And I thought that was heroic. And that's why I wanted to write the book. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with John D. Simone, author of the new novel, The Road to Delano. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And John, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you for having us. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.